0: The Fly Fishing 97 podcast is powered by TheFlyCrate.com, an online fly shop. Join the Quarterly Fly Club today, your source for all things fly fishing. And Wait For It Films. For action-packed fly fishing videos and camera-related content, check out Wait For It Films on YouTube or at www.TheWaitCreativeCo.com. And Broken Tippet Fly Company, blog and fishing apparel and accessories check them out online at brokentippet.com you, you, are you are
1: listening
2: you are listening to the fly fishing 97
1: podcast and then we had you know another week and a half to go and and uh, you know by by day 5 you just knew that it was okay well we'll see what happens today i'm not going to count on nothing today could be a one two three fish day or it could be a seven eight nine ten fish day who knows we'll see but you always knew you're gonna see something cool and you're gonna have a shot at it and one of the big things in exuma that we're particularly after is is big bones and when i say big bones i mean 10 pound plus uh you know, the guy was with Paul. He's fortunate enough to land a 14-pound, 14 14-pound 14 plus bone one at uh, once and had shots at, at fish that big. Like I think, don't quote me on this. We'd have to look it up. But I think the record, like, is, the record bone fish in the Bahamas is 15 pounds something, 15.7 mm-hmm. pounds. So they don't they don't get that big. But when we're hunting big bones, and I say hunting because that's what it is, you know. We can talk to the guy in the morning and say, okay, we want to go after big bones today. And we'll spend the entire day looking for big bones in certain parts. It's usually close to deep ocean water and they're coming into certain uh, flats. And you may go an hour without even seeing a fish. Hmm. And you have to be, you know, you have to want to do that and go.
0: The Fly Fishing 97 podcast is brought to you by The Fly Crate. The Fly Crate is an online fly shop where you can save more on flies and gear, shop between hundreds of unique flies, and join the quarterly Fly Club for hand picked fly assortments for each season. Exclusively for our podcast listeners, you can save an additional 10% on The Fly Crate by using the code FLYFISH97. Go to theflycrate.com and use the code flyfish97 at checkout to save 10%.
2: Well, we're really glad you joined us for this edition of the Fly Fishing 97 podcast. And we're going to do what we always do and what we strive to do each and every week. And that's find somebody super passionate in the fly fishing space. Talk all things fins, flies, fur, all that good stuff. And we've got a return uh, guest on the podcast. We're going to head out to Southwest Ontario. We're going to chat with... uh, Well, this fellow's from Fly Fitters. We've got Mike Verhoof, uh, a.k.a. Maitland Mike, um, because he spends so much time on the Maitland, and uh, chasing steelies, uh, trout, bass, muskies, you name it. Uh, He's guiding out of southwest Ontario. Hey, Mike, thanks for uh, coming on the show again. I appreciate it.
1: No, sounds great, Mark. Uh, Glad to be back and uh, have the opportunity to uh, chat with you here tonight.
2: Well, I'm not going to go through the usual questions on this show. Cause you and I have been there, done that covered that ground before, but I know we got lots of new things we can talk about. And I got a little excited when you'd mentioned, uh, just on through some DMS that you were down, uh, in the Bahamas in Exuma, um, chasing some fins. And I'd love to talk all about that. But before we do that, um, what have you been up to the past two years of this COVID haze? How, how have you been holding up?
1: Oh, great. Um, and I think that's maybe part of the reason that led us to wanting to get together again and have a chat, um, you know, this uh, past two year two years and what, uh, you know, we went through in, in Canada here in particular and how our, our government handled things. And it, um, you know, it affected people in different ways. I, I talked to lots of clients over the last two years you know completely bummed out when we had to cancel you know the first spring two years ago and then again the spring last year mm-hmm. and fortunately this year things are opening right up and we're gonna have a you know have a full full packed guiding season for spring steelhead here um personally myself um you know there's a there was a positive there's a real positive side to COVID too and that was the amount of uh, time that it created for one to spend time in the outdoors there themselves. And, uh, you know, with my real job, I was able to do a lot more online and teams meetings and stuff like that, which that freed up a lot of time to, uh, turkey hunt in the spring, nice. uh, catch a, catch a steelhead on a dry fly. I think we talked about that last time. <laughs> um, you know, uh, bow hunting, uh, this past, uh, the past two falls, I, I ended up uh, harvesting, uh, my personal best whitetail nice. uh, the, the fall before last. Um, and there again, just having time to do it and, um, uh, sit in a tree and really reflect on, uh, life and, uh, you know, what, what's a, what means value to one, uh, to one person. And, uh, yeah. So this past two years, you end up uh, spending a lot more time walking your dog, you <laughs> ended up spending a lot more time with your family, with my son, um, in the outdoors that I'm passionate about. And, uh, yeah. Really, especially at my age here, I just turned 52 in January and uh, really taking a big, you know, 30,000 foot down look at life and Hmm. where I'm at and where I want to go,
2: what I want to do. It's interesting you said that because I think that happened to a lot of us over the past couple of years. You start looking in the mirror and going, hey, is this what I want to do? Is this where I want to be? it's made a lot of people, um, say, Hey, I don't want to be doing this. I'm going to go do this, or I want to take that trip of a lifetime. Cause you know what, um, what am I waiting for? Right. And uh, did you find that you had a lot of, a lot of your clientele over the past couple of years, did the locals kind of step up? Cause I, I talked to a lot of guides and that's kind of what they, you know, there wasn't a lot of people traveling. So it seemed like the the locals kind of jumped, jumped at the chance to get out. Was that your experience?
1: Yeah, for, for sure. Especially, uh, the learn to fly fish side of it or the introduction so um you know examples like uh, you know you couldn't find a canoe anywhere in ontario to buy or a new kayak yeah or a new paddleboard like all that kind of stuff sold out like crazy so all of a sudden people were you know realizing you couldn't travel you couldn't do much so then they started walking more you know there's a a very popular walking trail not too far from where i live and you know, I'd be walking it every morning with my dog, and the amount of people you were seeing was uh, uh, unbelievable. So people just started doing stuff more in the outdoors, and that led to mm. a lot of local people asking about, you know, fly fishing lessons and being introduced to the sport. They always wondered about it. Yeah. So, you know, there was still stuff going on. It was funny. Some people, you know, wanted to wear a mask on the river <laughs> in mm. the open. Right. Yeah, and, and some – people didn't at all like it was just different it was all on the perspective of where you were at with the whole thing yeah
2: that that's been my experience too you just kind of you just go wherever someone's at that's where they're at with it right and it's uh you know when you're out in the river uh there's not a lot around you especially when you're in a big boat hey that was one thing i really noticed too during covid you try buying a used boat try looking for a, even a oh. truck try buying a truck right now there's like you know it'd be like okay uh, i want a new truck well it's going to be eight months yeah
1: (laughs) yeah no no here too and boats and all that stuff and i you know if uh we won't go down a rabbit hole here but depending what interest rates do and what economy does and now that things opened up there may be a lot of good deals on some used outdoor <laughs> equipment coming up in the near future we'll see where this goes let's hope not but uh you, you
2: need so a new hide gonna... is that what you're saying <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. well i'm a clacker craft guy oh, okay.
1: <laughs> we'll go from there yeah totally here you. how many you know, boats I'll...
2: are you up to now in your and uh fly fitters
1: yeah i'm running uh two i've got the the 16 foot clacker craft that i call my cadillac right that's my Yep. Any boat for soggy and river, I can use it all year long. And here on the mainland, it depends on the flow. And then I have uh, you know an old uh, workhorse standby, standby my four by four jeep. I call it, or my backcountry boat. That's my thirteen foot Outcast raft hmm. that you can do use in any level. And um, nice to have both. And you end up uh, you know flipping back and forth depending on the season.
2: Are you finding you know now that things are picking up again? Uh, are you a one person show right now, or do you have help? What's going on yeah. there?
1: Yeah. No good. I still have a, a, a good friend, fellow guide, uh, working with me, uh, Neil Leduc. uh But Neil started, interesting enough, he started his own guiding business up on uh, Lake Nipigon in the Nipigon River, mm-hmm. and he's he's been you know up there for the last twelve years now. He's been fishing it as he guided up north and working on it. And the last three years, he's been up there specifically focusing on it. And last year was his first big full time year up there. Hmm. So he's he's working with me here in the spring in the fall. Um as he as he has building up his own clients too and then we work back and forth there and then he heads up right here around um twentieth of May and he's gonna be up there for the whole summer and he's uh, developed uh absolute unbelievable fishery up there for obviously world renowned brook trout, uh trophy brook trout hmm. uh unbelievably pike, huge, huge pike. Yep. And then the other neat thing, uh that he's tapped into is uh, lake trout on the fly, um, in Lake Nipigon itself. So yeah. anyway, we, uh, one neat thing with COVID, that was one thing we were allowed to do is, you know, travel inter provincially or enter within the country. So, um, you know, I did a fantastic trip for a week to be his Guinea pig up there mm. a year ago, and it was fantastic. And then I even snuck out to, uh, my one of my favorite places in this country and that was the skeena river region wow this past uh, last june uh or actually last july first week of july and met a good friend of mine out there and we did uh five days on the Kitimat river uh fishing nice. for chinooks how was that and that was one of my probably absolute favorite trips i've done to date it was me and a good buddy and we uh We're able to line up a raft through another fellow that we uh, have known for that was originally from Ontario that moved out there, Mm -hmm. a good friend, Matt. And uh, we did uh, four days of uh, rafting the Kitimat River just ourselves. And then uh, one day of walk-in, and I landed a 35-pound chrome sea lice Chinook. That was pretty friggin' cool on a spade rod, I'll tell you that. Um, So uh, looking at lining that up again this year, You know, again, we could travel within Canada, so we jumped on a plane. We thought we always wanted to do it, so we just did it, and uh, we figured the Skeena Skeena steelhead system is having its challenges. Let's word it that way. Yeah. We didn't know whether we'd be heading back out there in the fall for that, and this was something we wanted to try, so we did that. Love it. worked out really well.
2: Awesome. So, so let's talk about this big trip you just uh, not so long ago came back from. Now, uh, I know you mentioned to me before we hopped on this that you'd been uh, to Exuma before. Um, tell us what kind of triggered this trip, who you went with, and how it all came about.
1: Yeah, right on. So it um, went down there th- uh, three years ago for the first time with a, with a client, uh, a good client that I met um, a number of years ago now. Uh, actually a bass muskie guiding on the on the Saugeen River mm-hmm. uh, his name is Paul and became good friends with him and a couple of his good fly fishing friends through that and then Paul ended up going on uh, two of my hosted trips out to Skeena um Skeena, Skeena country in BC for steelhead and we got talking on the second time he did that with me and he said, "I have something that I think you might be interested in. And it might have some potential for you for bringing some clients down and hosting some trips." So, anyways, he had been—he's been, he's been uh, you know, fishing the Caribbean for bonefish for I think it's 28 years, uh-huh. and he's pretty much fished all over. And then he's been down on the Exuma for the past 12. And it's one of his favorite uh, places to go that he's found. And he does does his own thing, rents his own place, rents a car. But he know has gotten to know a couple of the guides really, really well. And he books them. Mm-hmm. So he asked me, uh, you know, is that something you would be interested in? I said, absolutely. So he uh, invited me down three years ago. And then the plan was to, you know, get down there every year. And then once I got comfortable with it, I'd start um, – you know, hosting and bringing some of my clientele down to, you know, fill some days. Uh, we have it set up for four people and it works really well. Anyway, then COVID came two years ago and squashed that next year and then squashed last year as well. And then this winter, um, you know, it was December, we were right in the middle of COVID, right in the middle of winter, and I didn't know where things were going. And I thought, I'm gonna call Paul and see if he's thinking of going? And he had lined up the two years before but they both ended up getting cancelled because he just couldn't get down and didn't know and right. he said Mike I'm 68 years old I'm had enough this is what I love to do I'm taking a chance and I'm going and I said well I'd love to go with you if uh, you want for a couple of weeks and Paul had a month lined up down there and he's just going to go by himself but he uh, jumped at the opportunity to invite me along with him and I jumped at the opportunity that hmm. he invited and uh, anyway I went down for uh, two weeks this year and hooked up with Paul. He's a very wise, genuine, uh, great man, and uh, we had probably one of the most um, rewarding trips I've ever been on. And I'm not talking about the fishing side of it. I'm talking about you know the the glass of wine at night after a day on the water, and the discussion about life in general, and hmm getting old and watching your kids grow up and watching my son grow up and it just was uh there was even a few nights of tears and a few nights of hugs and then a few fantastic days on the water and it was just one of those trips that uh, was well needed after two years of of not being able to really go anywhere um or do do that type of thing and uh and then not to mention uh for the 14 days I was down there, we spent 12 of those days on the water, um, with 10 of those being uh, guided, and two of those days, two of those days being uh, do-it-yourself walking wades in a few new spots that we went and explored. And I gotta, I, one... I
2: gotta ask you yeah. how much, how much did it make you appreciate this trip after not being able to do it for so long? You know, when when basically everything shut down, you're like, okay, well, this isn't going to happen. But you made that leap of faith. It sounds like you had the trip of a lifetime, to be quite honest. Because for me, you got to be mentally prepared to go on a trip. I I can't remember if you said it. Somebody I I talked to um, previously said, that's the number one thing when you go on a trip. If you're not mentally prepared, you're in that, you're right into it. You know, sometimes you just go and you go through the motions, but other times you just need to go. And I find those are always the best trips. It doesn't even matter how good the fishing is. If the company's good and the situation is right, you're ready to escape does that make sense
1: uh the, i was the guy who said that <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, Oh wait, what, was it you it. okay yeah okay yeah. remember remember you asked you had asked me you know what's uh so when you're planning for a trip what's the most important yeah. thing yeah. that you need and i said you got to be mentally ready for it and oh, you were like you kind of paused and said i've never had someone say it no. that way and D- i said it's so true
2: you know what's funny is i mean this is like episode 210 yeah. 200 i don't know but uh i i've fully remember that conversation. And I'll be quite honest with you. I didn't know that it was you that said that I should have well, gone back funny. and listened.
1: Huh. <laughs> well, here's the funny part. So if you say this is 210, I think I was number 104. The first one. So literally, <laughs> so literally half, halfway, halfway through. Well, so no wonder you can't, but well, uh, every hundred
2: shows, uh, we'll be calling you Mike. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, 100%. So, so with that, um, you know, I got to admit this, this trip, uh, you know, being mentally, uh, prepared for it was a huge part. So one, I went for two weeks. So that's a long time when, uh, yeah. you know, you're leaving everything behind and getting prepared. And I also went down there that I wanted to kind of really shut down and just enjoy it. So, um, you know, getting ready for it, getting mentally ready for this one was different in the sense than anything in the past because of the COVID restrictions, right. And planning mm-hmm. and, 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 you know, wondering if you're actually how it's going to go, which was really weird. Then once you got into it and did it now? If you start talking to people that have traveled, it's it's really been a piece of cake, right? I'm sure there's a few you know things you have to fill out that you didn't before, but uh, yeah. you're able to make it happen. So uh, mentally preparation was big. Staying, uh, you know, the the, the funny part tr- t- you know, to your to exactly what you said, Mark. It uh, wasn't really about the fishing at all this trip. But that said, I hooked the biggest barracuda i've ever seen it was probably like literally five and a half feet wow um and this thing went you know completely ape crazy and um you know spit the hook after about 40 seconds and it was a thrill in itself <laughs> uh, permit are very rare around exuma there's a couple places that you can travel fairways to go for permit but with the one day i had a legitimate shot at a A big permit and uh kind of surprised the heck out of a surprise the heck out of the guide he's only seen that i think two times in his Hmm. 20 year career guiding there but of course had a shot made the cast but i had a bonefish fly on which is what it was not interested in and uh it just swam by it and then it kind of worked its way away um and then we had um you know i had a shot at my personal best uh, bonefish which would have been you know the guide figured it was in that 12 to 13 pound range um you know, and that's, you know, true True bonefish over 10 pounds. You don't find them every day and not everywhere, right? So it ended up being a fantastic trip that way. But, I mean, just from the people we met and the time we spent and the conversations we had about life in general and then the fact that, you know, this past two years, you know, just it did make you look at things a little differently, right? Yeah. So um, yeah,
2: you know, back I mean to, to your...
1: Yeah, back to your original question. It was um, yeah, it was a special trip with uh, uh, in many different ways.
2: So, did you take your tying gear with you, or did you just buy flies on this one?
1: No, no. I. I it's funny you say that. So you got to remember now. I had two years to tie flies. <laughs> <laughs> true. So, true. So, so okay. One thing. Uh, one thing I did learn uh, years ago after trips was um, you know how some people you know, make notes of their trip, right, and all that stuff and record stuff. Well, one of the things I just kind of naturally have done is I really record things about the flies that worked and didn't work, and you can go on trips and have all the flies you think you need, and then you get down there, and the guide has one that catches 90% of the fish, and you <laughs> don't have that one, right? <laughs> yeah. So when I came back uh, three from the trip three years ago, um, I ended up tying for a month after that, specific bonefish flies for Exuma thinking that I'd be going the next year right and uh, based off of the patterns down there it's interesting in Exuma it's all tan a lot of places you go and it's pink and Mm you know pink and white but for some reason around exuma it's it's all tan colored flies that seem to work the best so long story short is i had a whole bunch of to your question mark i had a whole bunch of ties or flies tied up uh ready to go from two years ago and then i thought i was gonna go last year so i tied (laughs) tied more before that yeah and uh, that never happened so um, i was all set for flies this time
2: good stuff so, so tell us about the waters you're fishing. So um, it sounds like it's a pretty diverse island with lots of opportunities. Um, what's the first thing you're doing? Is you're kind of watching the weather, trying to pick your spots that way? Or did you did you set out with your, your good buddy and say, no, this is what we're doing today? How, how did that work?
1: Yeah, good. So um, <clears throat> we were guided a bunch of days by, uh, you know, reno Rale- Raleigh's his name he's been a guy down there for uh for years he's probably considered one of the top but the top guy down there paul knows them all and has fished with them all and reno's really good so we had him booked the one week five days straight and then the other week we had him booked four days every other day there was a couple days where we went out on our own with our own little boat that uh, paul has access to from where we stay and then there was a couple days where we just uh Uh, well the one day we did a walk and wait so in all of those situations the first thing you do when you wake up once you've been down there a few times you know how important the weather's going to be it's the most important thing for bone fishing anywhere in the caribbean first thing you do is you get up you get your clothes on you walk out to the kitchen you open the door and you go outside right away (laughs) before you even get the coffee machine going or anything you're looking at what the weather's going to do and the first thing you're looking at is cloud cover because you can deal with wind and you can cast with wind, but if, if you have cloud cover, it's super, super hard to see fish, um, especially right. on the different bottoms down there. And then you look for the wind, and then you know you, you looked at the weather forecast the night before and you kind of wondered what it's going to do, but it always seems to do what it wants to do on its with its own mind. So look for weather, look for wind. The neat part about uh, down there is in all of the Bahama Islands, um, you know they're fairly long skinny islands so we can go either either to the west side or to the east side uh north side south side you can find places to get out of the wind right. the big thing down there is the massive massive uh flats and mangrove flats and mangrove channels you call them and you can get way back into these mangroves so you usually can always find a place to get out of the wind and uh you know and then of course it depends on the tide that's a big thing mm-hmm. and um You deal with it and, uh, every day, every day fishing is a good day, right? Oh yeah. (laughs) So so you, uh, uh, you know, there's always a four, four cold ones packed and a couple sandwiches for lunch and, uh, you just, you know, it's going to be a good day no matter what happens.
2: Four, is that the number? Four cold ones? Yeah, four cold
1: ones, that's usually keeps us, uh, keeps us going through the day just right, right, uh, enough to enjoy, but not enough to indulge.
2: Yeah, that's well said. So, okay, so walk us through this. So, you're specifically, it sounded like, were you targeting kudas as well? Or was it specifically you're looking for bonefish? Or, um, you know, did you get up in the morning and say, today it's bonefish, today it's barracudas? Yeah,
1: no, good, good question. Every day down there is bonefish day, okay. every day. Okay. Uh, that's pretty much what it is, uh, especially on Exuma and most of the Bahama Islands. But it's a bonefish day, and then I, I carry a 10 weight rod rigged up with a barracuda fly ready to go with a wire leader and it's put together sitting in a spot on the boat that because you never know the next corner you go pulling around and there's a little bit of it just seems where there's a little bit of current going through the mangrove channels there can be a barracuda sitting there you know waiting for bonefish to come out to munch on right mm. so um and it, it, it's always interesting. And then you, you have to tell, like, a lot of bonefish guides don't really care to go after barracuda. They want to go after bonefish. But if you tell them, you know, hey, I keep your eye open for a barracuda. I'd love to cast at one and and uh, get one. Then they're like, oh, yeah, for sure. Okay, let's do that. And sure enough, there'll be many times where you'll be on the deck and you'll be uh, your turn on the deck and you're looking for the bones and you're kind of pulling along and all of a sudden you know barracuda mike barracuda mike coming up one o'clock and you know you (laughs) scramble and give your rod to your partner and grab your barracuda rod and strip a bunch of line off and they're kind of like um you know i'm sure lots of people fish for them too i from what i found um you know you need about four good shots at four different barracuda and one of those four will just turn and annihilate your fly Mm. and and one will maybe kind of look at it and then bugger off and two you'll just spook no matter what you do it's 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 really funny you mm. you know they've got this they've got this demeanor and character to them that people think barracuda just kind of i've i found i've found them to be kind of a fussy fish believe it or not right. but um but when they turn <laughs> and go on your fly it uh it's Pretty freaking crazy. What what
2: type of lines are you casting for these fish? Are you casting dry lines with, with, uh, you know, floral? Are you casting sinking lines? What what are you throwing?
1: Yeah, no good. So the bonefish, uh, you know, definitely a bonefish taper floating fly line with, uh, I like a long leader, so I'm always running at least 10 feet. Um, Mm -hmm. If I'm running a nine-foot leader, I'm usually adding a foot to it. And then down there, we have a really good chance at uh, big bones. So we're usually running minimum 14-pound hmm. uh, liters. Floral um, or right? mono? Yeah, f- yeah, no, floral, definitely floral. Hmm. Um, sinks, helps sink quicker, um, keeps the fly down. You know, you just adjust the weight of your fly depending on your depth in, and then, of course, just for abrasive, abrasive resistance, right? Um, I, I find floral um, significantly better for that.
2: Silly question. What type of knots? Is there any special knots you're, you're throwing on these flies?
1: Uh, I... I use a loop knot for everything. Ah. Uh, The only time I probably wouldn't use a loop knot is, you know, a dry fly. Literally, I use a loop knot for everything. So I I fish a loop knot on even on a bonefish fly. I make sure it's a small loop knot, though. Mm -hmm. And um, I just find for, uh, you know, that hooking and leverage, uh, lack of leverage, it uh, helps. Um, And then to continue on the lines, just before I forget, the uh, for the Barracuda rod, it's it's a pike musky taper line that I that has an intermediate head on it just to help keep the fly down a bit. And then I'm running uh 40-pound floral straight 6-foot leader to a wire wire 50-pound wire to the fly.
2: Is there, um, is there a lot of similarities in your mind fishing for big pike and barracuda?
1: Very similar. Very, very, very similar.
2: Yeah. They they just I seem like know. a a similar behaving type of fish to me, you know, just, just get out of my yeah. way. I'm all in or I'm not.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then they got a little bit of the fussy musky aspect yeah. to them too. Yeah. So
2: do they a... <laughs> do they hit close to the boat like a musky, or are they way out? You got to yeah.
1: Out. No, they'll they'll chase they'll chase your fly, and you got to strip it like once they see it, you got to like strip it super super fast. Like I mean, as mm. fast as you can strip it, and sometimes you end up using the rod wow. to do it, and you'll have them chase chase the fly right to you know six eight feet off the end of your rod and then they see the boat and then they bugger off and then they're spooked and they're gone Hmm. um it's 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 really interesting so it it just adds uh you know the my partner that i was with paul he's been going down there for like i said 12 years to this spot he's been fishing the bahamas for you know over 20 years and uh he doesn't even bring a barracuda rod he could care less right everyone's different yeah um i i bring one just to add a fun and different aspect to the chase that day right
2: love it yeah so so when you're fishing for the bones uh, i've seen you know i've seen a lot of footage but what what i'm curious about is is do you try to place it in front of the fish and do you let it kind of get to the bottom and then move it when they're around or are you just continually moving the fly
1: yeah great great question so for one, every day is different. Uh, some days you need to uh, see a fish moving, coming up, and you need to cast literally 10 feet in front of it so you don't spook it. You need that fly to sink to the bottom. You need them to get close, and then you start stripping, and they see it, and they're on it. Mm. Some days you can plunk the thing on their head, <laughs> and they spook five feet, turn around right away, and come back and annihilate your fly. Wow. And then there's there's days that you'll cast and cast six feet away from them and they're spooked and gone but usually they need the one big challenge with bones is they do need to see the fly and the only time you can screw that up is if you have too light a fly and it doesn't get down into their zone and they and and they just don't see it okay um very rarely i i actually usually will fish a heavier than needed fly and then cast accordingly for the time for it to sink and then have it have it moving and then they see it and come usually if you overweight a fly what you're concerned about is is it splashing on the water or making too much noise when it hits the water and spooking them right so there's a big difference on whether you're in you know calm mangrove water where that can happen and then then you're, you know, you're better to have a real light fly and Mm. and cast a good portion ahead of them and let that fly sink and let them see it and come to it. But when they, uh, when they're on and they see a fly, it's amazing, um, to watch bones chase it. Like, um, it's funny, you know, you can, you can, you know, you often see the pictures of tailing bones, right? And super calm water and they're tailing and they're feeding and, you know, you need to cast ahead of them. You need to get that fly in the bottom, and then you twitch it a couple of times, and they see it, and they're right on it. But when down there, we're we're fishing fish that are moving in as the tide's coming in, or moving out as the tide's going out, and uh, they're on the move, and you need uh, the one fly we fish down there has got a big gold fuzzy crystal flash tail on it that i've never seen used anywhere else and it Mm. just seems to work down there because they need to see it so um it's fun it's challenging
2: seems like there's a lot of nuances and i would imagine you know being there for two weeks you probably get a better read for things if you go out there for one or two or three or four days you're probably not going to see all the scenarios play out how much of um a help was it to be there for a longer trip this time around and kind of see these different weather conditions different situations
1: yeah, it helped, it helped a lot this year. We, uh, you know, it usually takes you, uh, you know, if you're on a week's trip, it takes you five days to get dialed in, right? <laughs> Finally, yeah, on day, true. day five, you're kind of dialed in, you got one day left to actually where you get it. Yeah. The neat part about this trip was I was dialed in after day three and then we had, you know, another week and a half to go and, and, uh, you know, by, by day five, it, you just knew that it was okay, well, we'll see what happens today. I'm not going to count on nothing today could be a one two three fish day or it could be a seven eight nine ten fish day who knows we'll see but you always knew you're gonna see something cool and you're gonna have a shot at it and one of the big things in exuma that we're particularly after is is big bones and when i say big bones i mean 10 pound plus uh you know the guy was with paul he's fortunate enough to land a 14 pound 14 pound plus bone one uh, once and had shots at, at fish that big like i think don't quote me on this. We'd have to look it up, but I think the record, like, is the record bonefish in the Bahamas is 15 pounds, something, 15.7 mm. pounds. So they don't, they don't get that big. But when we're hunting big bones, and I say hunting because that's what it is, you know, we can talk to the guy in the morning, and say, okay, we want to go after big bones today, and we'll spend the entire day looking for big bones in certain parts. It's usually close to deep ocean water, and they're coming into a certain uh, flats and you may go an hour without even seeing a fish Hmm. and you have to be, you know, you have to want to do that and go, um, you know, a lot of people go bone fishing and it's just all about numbers and catching all kinds, but most of the fish are three pounds, you know, three to five pounds and away you go. So it's neat throwing those aspects into it. and, And once you've caught a lot of fish, it's, it's really fun trying to go after and hunt for that, that big bone.
2: Yeah, it sounds so amazing. We got Mike Verhoef on the line today. Maitland Mike, fly fitters out of Southwest Ontario. Now, um, Mike is a guide. Uh, he does uh, fly fishing guiding, spay guiding. He's uh, usually chasing steelhead, but uh, venturing out uh, to some warmer waters. And uh, I think uh, it sounds like a welcome trip. And uh, I guess the big question, uh, Mike, is when are you going to start doing these guided trips? Because I got a feeling it's in your blood now.
1: Yeah, it's, um, this year was a, a test, you know, a test tail. let's call it, for that again. Um, you know, that was the plan. It, uh, it, uh, this, this year's trip really rejuvenated that whole concept and looking at what I want to do when I uh, so-called retire in a few years. So um, uh, right now, uh, definitely planning a trip back there next year. I've got uh, one week we've got lined up where I'm going to invite three, three clients down and uh, host them for the week. So next year will be the start and then I'd like to you know, eventually get it set up within probably about three years from now that uh, I end up down there for a full month uh, and hosting uh, people, friends, clients, such thing to come down and uh, stay and we, we you know the fun part about this is we do our own thing this isn't lodge right we right. we've got our own cottage rented we rent our own car we do our own meals um, we hire the guides to take us out for the day but everything else is on our own and it just adds a whole different aspect hmm. um, to a trip like that but um, you know one thing I've learned over the years it also takes certain types of individuals to appreciate a trip like that and you have to make sure you invite the right type of people to enjoy that. Yeah. Um, so uh, there's always watchouts uh, watch outs on that side of it. So, so oh. to your question, I'm hoping next year, but
2: <laughs> I love it. Do you know what's funny is since you and I talked a hundred and some odd shows ago, you wouldn't believe how many guides I've talked to that said I managed to retire. So I started guiding <laughs> and it's like, uh, okay. Uh, it's something about that sounds funny to me because I know as much as you love it, it's still work. You still got to get up at, you know, crack of dawn, get that lunch ready. Um, get, you know, you're, you're on all the time and your clients have expectations. H- how big of a important role? And you just, I think touched on it. Is it getting the right fit for the trip? Cause everybody has different expectations, getting that right mindset, um, I would imagine with your current clientele you can kind of spot pick and go hey uh Joe and uh, Mary and uh, they would be perfect on this trip.
1: Yeah, that's uh, that's it to a T. So, you know, I had uh I did it for 9 years to Skeena Country in BC and we were doing a a a camp tent camp trip, tent camp set up on the Skeena River through a lodge out there. Mhm and it was, uh, you know, seven people total, so six people and myself, and if you picked the right six people, you had an absolute unbelievable week, and I was fortunate enough to pick the right six people every year I went, and it's to your point. You get to know people, and, you know, you spend a day with someone on a drift boat talking about everything under the sun. You can soon read people and see who's going to fit, and, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, there's some people that, wanted to go really bad, but I knew they wouldn't be a fit. So they didn't get an invite. Right. Um, and, and you need, you need that type of thing. Right. So yeah, uh, that's important. It works. Yeah, it definitely works. And there, and there's a difference between going to a all inclusive lodge. That's going to cater every little need you have. Mm-hmm. And then to doing something where, um, you know, people need to be a little bit independent on them on their own as well. Right. So um, picking the right people makes all the difference in the world.
2: Talk to me about the cuisine down there. So how was how the food day to day? Are you, you sound like you're making sandwiches and whatnot? But I would assume that there's some local fare that's kind of a must have in the boat.
1: Oh yeah, uh, like uh, fresh grouper Whoa. bought from from the dock where we were
2: <laughs> taking
1: nice. out our boat at the end of the day by local fishermen. Perfect for uh, you know twenty bucks for two big chunks of grouper that. Um, you know, we took home that night and, uh, you know, put in a tinfoil, simple tinfoil pan with some Italian salad dressing, some butter and some cut-up onions and salt and pepper and covered in tinfoil and put in the oven for uh, 25 minutes at 350 and uh, served over a bed of rice with a nice green salad with fresh vegetables that we bought from the, uh, you know, the grocery store, mm. and it was to die for. And then uh, the other interesting part is there's a great butcher down there that, uh uh, butcher shop that Paul got to know a number of years ago. So we went there and, you know, bought steak one night for that. And mm. there again, not bad, uh, 15 bucks US for a really nice, you know, six, eight ounce steak. And you, you get talking to them and you ask, you know, came back and cooked it and it was like phenomenal. I said, where are they getting their steak from? And so we went back the next uh, couple of days later to get some more. Uh, I think we got some burger that day. so I asked him and he said, oh man, our stuff comes from Texas. It all comes from Texas. <laughs> <laughs> and it was, it was great. So, so food is, um, uh, Paul, the, the fellow, the friend I go with, uh, he loves his comfort food. Yeah. So, you know, we had everything from ham and scalp potatoes one night to Peace. spaghetti one night to steak to this fresh grouper to, uh, you're on holidays, right? And you're doing mm. your own thing and you got all the time in the world. You're getting off the river at four 30, you're getting home at five. The only thing you have to do is make sure you get down for happy hour at five thirty down the tiki bar,
2: <laughs> and
1: uh, you know meet uh, meet other people from all over the globe that happen to be on Exuma visiting and staying in this little um, commune of, of thirteen winter homes that are in this little place that we stay. Yeah. and uh, you know we had, I met people from Key West, I met people from England, I met people from Calgary, Alberta, mm-hmm. I met uh, people from Miami. Um, there was another couple from, uh, uh Southern Boston. And, uh, so lots of chat, lots of fun. And at yeah. the end of the day, you're down there fly fishing and enjoying, enjoying life.
2: That's awesome. So, um, anything weird happened to you on this trip? Like, did you have any crazy stories, any, any crazy weather come up? Any, uh, you won't believe this, but this happened or, um, anything that you could yeah. think
1: of? Yeah, the, it, uh, <laughs> Everyone will appreciate if you fly fishing, do any kind of traveling or fly fishing in the world, you always bring a good rain jacket. And mm-hmm. uh, um, I packed a good rain jacket in my boat bag, right? It was at the bottom, I think, uh, the last time I was down there and everyone pulled it out. But you still bring it because you just know. And sure enough, the one day uh, we went and Paul did not bring his. <laughs> Paul, Paul had one of those little pull-out you know, yellow plastic pullover garbage bag <laughs> type of, oh boy. Type of uh, yeah. yeah. The, so he, the sweat lodge. Yeah, he's, yeah, exactly. He's trying to get in on, and of course, I pulled out my nice, you know, Sims frigging Gore-Tex rainproof light <laughs> jacket, right, and threw it on, and and I was cozy as could be, but he was, and it was windy, and he's trying to keep that thing on, and the water's blowing in, and <laughs> it, was, it was hilarious, and I just looked at him, I said, really? This <laughs> many years coming down here, and you bring that? And he goes, I'm such a rookie. <laughs> and, but and the funny part was, guess where his nice Sim's Gore-Tex rainproof water coat was? Right back at the the cottage because it was not supposed to rain that day. Well, oh. it rained that day and it poured for hmm. like ten minutes. And then, sure enough, the sun came out. But um, interesting, what made me think of it was I caught a beautiful bone just after it quit raining, and Paul was soaking wet. And he said, "Mike, you get up there." And I got a picture of me holding that bone. And I'll probably, I'll send it to you to put on this one because yeah. it's a funny story. So I am holding this beautiful bone, but I'm wearing a full-blown rain jacket. And I, I posted it on my Instagram account. and I had a number of people ask me, how come you're wearing, you know, you're all covered up in a jacket? Was it cold down there or what was going on? And it just happened to be because of a fluke, you know, <laughs> rainstorm that came through. <laughs> um, so that was a fun little, fun little story. You know, no matter how many years you've been, yeah. uh, you know, doing it, you still... The odd day, don't think you need your sunglasses or you don't need your sunscreen or you don't need your rain jacket or whatever, mm. and that stuff you should always bring no matter what, right? So,
2: I'm like that with fly patterns. You know, I'll tie up a bunch the night before and then I'll forget them, and it's like, yeah. oh man, if only I had that, you know, uh, beige colored tan bait fish pattern that I spent last night time, yeah. But uh, we've all been there. The rain. I have. A, I got it. I got to admit. I got. I got a confession to make here. I have a. I have a problem with rain gear. Like if I see the new, latest, greatest rain jacket, I buy it. I don't know. I. That's something <laughs> I've really come to appreciate. And and I live in the desert. I'm. There's not a lot of rain where I'm at. But I'll tell you that when it does rain, it can pour. And if it doesn't breathe, you know, like I'm always. I used. To, I used to work in a fly shop. Well, it used to drive me nuts is people would say, uh, "I just need a." Uh, water-resistant jacket i'm like no a sponge is water resistant you don't you want a waterproof jacket there's there's a difference water you know what i mean like water resistant doesn't mean crap um And and it and does it breathe? You know, you're talking about the Gore Tex. Yeah, you're going to spend some money, but you're going to have a jacket that lasts you for for forever, and you're going to be dry, and, and you're going to be comfortable. I mean, has that been your experience, guide, in all these years?
1: Oh, huge, huge, huge! You can't, you can't put enough emphasis on being comfortable and uh yeah. you know especially if you're any kind of steel header uh, or have done any kind of steelheading i mean you get a little bit of damp and a, a cool breeze comes up or anything that's the quickest way to get cold yeah. and uh your most important piece of clothing is your outer layer to keep you dry keep you warm and keep you from the elements which keeps you comfortable which keeps you focused which keeps you mentally in the game Mm-hmm. which all adds up to being you know ready for the time that that fish of a lifetime or that fish that you've been putting the last 3 hours in working a run actually takes your fly um and uh <laughs> you know if you're cold and shivering and not comfortable yeah uh, you probably quit after 2 hours so you're not even there for that that bite right but uh are you a big
2: are you a big Sims guy you mentioned Sims there is that is that your yeah, go to
1: yeah, I'm all Sims. Um, you know, it's uh you know, you get into anything and you get into um picking the gear you like. I, I've had nothing but absolute uh, a- awesome success with Sims gear. Um yeah. it's it's worked out for well. I Me mean, I but I take care of my stuff too. I'm very careful with my waiters and hanging them up and drying them up and and you know, I've got a pair of G threes now that are ten years old. Um I've sent them back to Sims once, I think, to get some pinholes done and go over. And uh, I specifically asked them not to replace them with the new G3s because I like the old G3s. <laughs> and mm. So they did it and they fixed them. And yes. I'm still wearing I'm still wearing them this spring season. So, uh, um, you know, but it's pick your poison. and Pick what you're comfortable with and what you're um. – I've got buddies that are big golfers and yep. they've got Nike golf shoes and expensive golf clubs. I like fly fishing, so I've got expensive – fly fishing clothing and fly fishing rods right
2: yeah fair what what are your rods what's your go-to rods that you're using when you're guiding and 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 leisure time on the water
1: yeah i'm a g loomis guy uh, ah. right from the start so uh been with that right from the start i was introduced to spay casting by two g loomis pro staffers way back in the day that's uh 18 years ago now mm-hmm. and uh you know the same thing i i've i've seen every every rod uh manufactured in my boat at one time or the other, especially on the spay side, because I've been doing that for so long. Spay rods, and um, you know, today they all cast well if they're set up right. Um, you know, mm-hmm. I have a good line on them, a good setup. They all cast well. But I've I've got a liking for um, for Loomis, and you know, I started with that, and I've stuck with it through. And some of their real top end rods, like the new InterX Plus and stuff like that, they're they're pretty uh, they're pretty up there. Yep. But I mean, all of the the makers make an elite rod, and and like I said, and I'll say this to finish it off, uh, Mark, I, I've never met a fish yet that gives a shit what kind <laughs> of fly rod you're holding. So that's
2: that's, that's some mean, quotable Mike right there. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, that's as <laughs> simple as it goes, right? So I, I had a the only G. Lewis rod I ever had. I really loved it at the time. It was the old IMX. This is going back oh. a long time.
1: Yeah, that was a sweet stick in its day, man. Yeah. You couldn't touch that other than their GLX at the time. Yeah, but, exactly. Uh, yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. Super fast rod too, and I, I do yeah. like fast action rods. Yeah, for sure. Hmm. So what's uh, what's on the do list this year? How's the, how's the season shaping up? I mean, have you got lots of bookings? You're going to be busy on the on the Maitland. You're going to be busy. Uh, tell me what's what's coming down the pipe.
1: Yeah, so we're sitting here. It's uh, I guess it's Tuesday evening uh, season. You know, the upriver season here in southwestern Ontario, where the trout opener begins uh, this Saturday. So, um, you know, things will be busy this weekend, so I'll uh, – I probably won't get out at all this weekend. I usually never guide opening weekend just because it's too busy. But uh, mm. uh, and then our turkey season starts on Monday, so I've uh, designated two days to – To get my turkey, and then I'm hitting the river starting on the Wednesday, and I'm booked for three weeks solid after that, and um, that'll go up till the sixteenth, seventeenth of May, and then after that, traditionally on a normal year, our season's pretty much over by then. You might have the odd little straggler steelhead still dropping back to the lake, but uh, we'll see how the spring goes and see how cool it stays, see how much water we get um it wasn't too many years ago i think it was about four years ago we actually uh fished right up until june 1st uh we had fish hanging around we had lots of flow Mm. Uh, it was phenomenal so every year is different but traditionally by you know you get to the teens the mid-teens of may and season's pretty much over so uh we'll go with that through the season and i'm looking forward to reconnecting with a lot of clientele i haven't seen for a couple years that uh, are anxious to get out and some really good long-term clients now i've got guys i've got a couple guys booked that i've been guiding every year now for 16 17 years i think the one guy um wow. so uh you know they end up being like close friends yeah. right yeah, yeah. so uh, yeah, it would be nice to catch up with a lot of these folks after, uh, you know, the two-year delay that we just went through.
2: It's amazing and how many how many guys I talk to that uh, your best clients become like family, like like really good friends, and I think that's, that's something special. That speaks to, you know, when you spend that much time with somebody out in the water, you get to know them, and I think uh, you can be comfortable not talking too. There's something to be said about that too, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, there's, uh, you know, it's... Uh, there's always that first hour or two where it's all a catch up, and then there's a couple hours a day yep. during the day where nothing's said because they're in that Zen moment taking it all in, right? And then uh, uh, and talking about everything under the sun, right? So
2: I gotta put you on the spot here, Mike. Pick pick your poison. So, uh nice wild steely on the Maitland, or a thirteen pound bonefish tailing in the flats.
1: Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That one's Sorry. so easy. It's not it, even funny. Really? It's the, la- it's the ladder. Oh, oh yeah. Really? <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. I, I, oh yeah. Man, I, I am. I am so addicted to salt water. It. Um, hmm. it uh Yeah. That. Like, if you would have said uh, just a bonefish, I would have. But uh, a thirteen-pound bonefish feeling <laughs> in the thing. Oh man. Uh, and you know, here's a quick story to to finish off the trip I did, and it's it's so. Funny how things go uh you can be as prepared as you want you know one key thing is you you know you have a leader on for four or five days you know you should change it whether you take the time to change it that night or not because you don't want to do it in the boat um anyway i finally changed my leader so i was all set up for it we were down to our last day of being guided and so we said to our our guide Reno in the morning i said okay man we want to just focus on big fish today and he's you sure and we said yeah he said okay well we'll put the day in he says we might not see many fish but we'll do it first flats we come to we're pull pulling the shore around this point and i'm up paul let me get up there first and it wasn't five minutes and mike good fish 12 o'clock 50 feet and uh so you know I'm, this is 12 days now i'm no problem lay it out landed perfectly kind of thought i saw the fish but it was it was a ways off and it was a dark bottom so i couldn't quite see it anyway i ended up i laid the fly exactly where he, where i should have and he goes he goes he's on it strip 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 and and he goes keep stripping keep stripping he's on it he's on it, he's on it and uh sure enough um i saw him like he i was stripping so fast the fly almost came to the surface and he came out of the water to chase it <laughs> and i completely pooped the bed and <laughs> did not wait to feel the fish right and when he porpoised and took it i thought he had it and i did the side set the yeah. you know they refer to it as the the shitty trout set <laughs> thinking he was there and uh and he wasn't and he, com- and he completely missed it and i pulled the fly away from him then and he was gone uh, and when you man. hear your guide when you hear that voice and he goes oh man <laughs> that was a good fish <laughs> You just knew. So the last day had my shot, it was and then I had to ask him, I said, Okay, how big was that Reno? And he said that was twelve, thirteen pounds. Wow. And uh, of course we never saw another fish that day and that... I turned and Paul and I turned and Paul just looked at me with a smile on his face. He said, <laughs> You rookie <laughs> So I had that That's... that was all playback or all payback from the raincoat deal, right? It, it sounded
2: like, like uh, the theme of the trip. Yeah. It. Oh yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, and and the best part of it all, if, and if anybody knows on a good trip, you always have to have that one little thing that makes you want to come back, right? And yeah. then what made what made me just think of this? You said you know steelhead on the swing on the mainland or a thirteen pound oh. bone fish tailing in the thing. Oh, dude, I would take that thirteen pound bone fish anytime. Now, if you would have said a twenty pound steelhead on the Skeena, we would have been Ooh. up for a pretty good discussion there. Okay. But, I think uh, we got thought,
2: some uh, we got some fodder. Yeah, fodder for next yeah, time yeah. hey yeah, yeah, you yeah. know what i did want to ask you because um, i know it's super important especially when you're on the flats especially when you know you're trying to take that glare off what, what was your experience with the optics you're using down there did you have to upgrade sunglasses uh, were you good with what you had um how important were the sunglasses
1: uh sunglasses are probably next to your rain jacket the most important thing right. um uh, particularly in that i i have found amber lenses to to make a big difference myself i bring down three pairs of uh, glasses i'm a maui gym guy mm-hmm. but uh whatever you you know whatever suits your fancy um and i uh the one pair i was wearing mostly is i end up getting an oversized sunglass frame because it really needs to to fill in your eyes right and you put your hat over top and your uh yeah buff up over and and you don't want any light coming into the side and and it you know bone fishing also saltwater fishing but particularly bone fishing it is critical to see the fish like you, you can have a really good guy and he can tell you 40 feet 11 o'clock or 40 feet 10 30 you know 60 feet nine o'clock and you can listen to him and cast and you'll get close enough but it makes a big difference to be able to see the fish mm. and uh, glasses are so important for that so um, and of course I ended up I bought a I bought a brand new pair uh, the year, the winter after I had been down there, specifically with bonefish in mind, and I actually forgot I had them until I was <laughs> going through my stuff to pack. I went, oh yeah, I got these glasses. But I got down there, and of course I was wearing the ones that I like, that are comfy, that I always know work good. And then about halfway through the second week, I pulled out this new pair that I bought, and I put them on, and I went, oh my goodness. <laughs> I should have put these on day number one. It was unbelievable. And yeah. they just had a little bit of a different lens on them. It was a solid lens. The one, uh, the ones I was wearing had that kind of two tone to them. Yeah. And, um, anyway, um, tan, I would just say, uh, uh, that Amber, Amber lens is, is key and obviously good, good optics. I mean, anybody that's, yeah, you know, seeing the difference of good optics, uh, you know, the right. value of them.
2: It's night yeah. and day. And it's funny yeah, because it's- I, I, I'm with you. I'm a big Maui gym fan. That's pretty much all I use now. I used to have Smiths and whatnot back in the day, but I do love my Mauis. And I, for me, it's the rose or the amber. I love both yeah. those lenses. Agreed. But, Agreed. But I'll tell you, um, I've been getting a lot of uh, feedback on green, like the green Costa lens. Or I guess there's a green Maui lens too, but I mm-hmm. have not tried it. Um, apparently, it's not so good for driving, but it's it's really good for seeing the fish is what I hear. Oh,
1: Oh, well, I haven't tried it. I'll have to. So one one big benefit for us with Maui Gym is their main office is in uh, Mississauga right here in Ontario. Ah, yeah. So, so here, you know, a good example, I uh, sent uh, two frames, two frames, one lens had a pretty good scratch on it. And uh, my one good friend, he's a optometrist and he deals exclusively with Maui Gym for their sunglasses line at their, at their optometry shop. So he told me, but I said, just send them in. He said, 50 bucks, they put a new lens in it, you get your frame back, right? Hmm. So I sent uh, two pair in there a winter ago, and sure enough, they called and said, you know, they sent these in. Do you want the same lens? Do you want a different color? You know, your your frames are good. So yeah. um, did that, and you end up getting a brand new pair of Maui Jim sunglasses for 50 bucks, basically, Jeez. just to get the, the, the lenses replaced. And they'll do that for anybody. So. Yeah. Um,
2: I, yeah. I went I took a leap of faith and did because uh, i do use prescription for driving like for far for distance and uh, I got some Mauis um, that were um for my vision and man oh did you what yeah. a, I mean not cheap but that's a game changer you know you're watching you're trying to watch a dry fly um, 60 feet out or you're trying to watch an indicator or you're trying to spot fish yeah what a difference what a difference yeah
1: Bob. yeah I'm fortunate uh, my uh, far sight is good my close sight <laughs> not so much okay so uh, yeah i'm wearing a, i've got a pair of two eyes with me wherever i go now and that's yeah. just a result of being in your early 50s and hopefully uh, they don't get any worse my buddy promises me they're not so we're gonna be okay
2: i'm right there with you buds hey listen i really appreciate you taking the time to tell us about your trip really enjoyed chatting with you and let's you know let's not make it a hundred shows next time let's do it a little sooner.
1: Yeah, I know. That sounds great. Uh, I'm looking at heading out to uh, uh, BC again for some Chinooks this uh, probably the last week of June this year with my buddy, so that'll be something that we can talk about too. And then, of course, just life in general and the great outdoors and pursuing things that fly and swim and float and all that good stuff uh always up for a chat with it mark so uh, appreciate the time
2: yeah me too thanks thanks so much you've been listening tonight uh to a chat with mike verhoof mike is uh with fly fitters in southwest ontario he is your guide for fly fishing in spay all things maitland and beyond steelhead trout bass muskie look him up at fly fitters uh thanks for joining us this time around
0: The Fly Fishing 97 podcast is brought to you by theflycrate.com. Thank you for listening to the Fly Fishing 97 podcast. Your feedback matters. Let us know if there's a person or topic you'd like discussed. Email us at mark at flyfishing97.com. Until next time, tight lines and we'll see you on the water.